I think we would all agree here today that one of the worst things that could happen us is to witness a murder. I have to say that after growing up 28 years in Northern Ireland, a place of civil war, guerrilla warfare going on where there was much bloodshed, that within the first three weeks of coming to Surrey, I was closer to murder than ever before. Right on our street on a Sunday morning, three murders were committed. Welcome to Let the Bible Speak. This is Ian Gallagher, and we're on the air again to bring you the message of the gospel wherever you may be, and I trust that you'll be encouraged and blessed as we minister God's Word. We're com coming again to that commandment, Thou shalt not kill. And of course, it also means that we shall preserve life. Uh, this is the, the work of doctors, nurses, hospitals, clinics to preserve life, and of course, to work toward the uh, prosperity of health and strength. Uh, the body is God's gift to us. It is not an evil thing. The body is to be preserved. It is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And of course, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Uh, no man has the right to end life. This is a very relevant issue nowadays when we have euthanasia uh, discussed here in the politics of Canada. We have the Supreme Court ruling that doctors may assist in people in their own suicide. Uh, and yet we need to take on board, what does it mean, thou shalt not kill? Stay tuned with us as we look at that today. And we have uh, another hymn, uh, it, is, it is Well With My Soul. And I hope that it will be well with your heart and your soul today as we seek to minister the word of the Lord. Now again, we come to the Romans chapter 1 and the whole matter of reprobation where it speaks here about God giving men over to their own lusts, to their own ways. Our question here today is, is reprobation consistent with God's righteous character? Can God remain God and be just and good, and yet cast men away because of their rejection of him? Now, the answer to this is in the question, does God owe salvation to all men? Could God remain just and not do a thing to save even one soul out of the fallen race of Adam? Our Westminster Confession of Faith in chapter 3, 7 on the eternal decree says, The rest of mankind God was pleased, according to the unsearchable counsel of his own will, whereby he extendeth or withholdeth mercy, as he pleaseth, for the glory of his own sovereign power over his creatures to pass by and to ordain them to dishonor and wrath for their sin, to the praise of his glorious justice. Now, the biblical verses that are given are Matthew 11, 25, 26, Romans 9, 17. The thing to note is that while God's election of sinners to eternal life is purely sovereign and never based on their deeds or worthiness of salvation, God's reprobation is based on man's deeds and his worthiness of damnation. So one is unmerited, judgment is merited. 
Therefore, there is a just cause to leave men to their own desires and damnation. In salvation, sinners receive what they never deserved. That's grace. In reprobation, they receive what they do deserve and also what they desire. Because men walk away from God, turn their back on Him, choose their sin, choose their own lifestyle. That's the way they want it. That's what they desire. And, of course, when they come to the end of life and enter into God's eternity, no wonder that's what they get. What effect did the knowledge of God's judgment on sin have upon reprobate men? Verse 32 tells us, Who, knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Well, they just continue to rebel and revel in their own ways. They are shameless in the pursuit of forbidden pleasure. They join with and consent to the evil of others. They will not reprove them. What a tragedy this is. How sad that we see men walk away from God, continue on in sin, and bring judgment upon their own head. There seems to be no end to the cycle. And unless God in his grace and in his mercy steps in and calls the sinner out of that blindness and wickedness, and unless he brings them to the cross, reconciling them to God by the blood of the cross, well, there's just no hope. There is no hope for fallen sinful men apart from God's grace. Let's apply this to our hearts today. If I reject God, turn away from him, can I ever argue that it's not fair that God reject me? Not at all. But if I come to the cross and plead mercy, God promises that I will receive mercy. This is the wonderful thing. Men at the end get what they desire. If you desire mercy, the promises of God are there and you will receive mercy. If you desire to run from God and turn your back on him, you will get your desire and God will leave you to your own empty, mad course of sin. Oh, I pray today that you will turn to the Lord and seek him with all your heart. I hope it is well with your soul. This is our hymn now. Stay tuned as we continue our program.
many can't live with themselves because they are guilty of such a crime of seeking the death, the destruction of their fellow man. Think of the conscience that is troubled day and night under the punishment. I can't stand it anymore. There are some who, after maybe 20 years, give themselves up for a crime that they can't live with anymore trying to hide it. And here is a place I think it's needful for us to talk about the awful evil and the murder in abortion. The harm to the perpetrator in the murder of the unborn, it is untold. The killing of millions of babies from the womb in civilized countries, where we have now state-sanctioned, state-supported, and state-funded abortion. And to think that general revenue of tax dollars is going to the death of children in the womb, the guilt that it brings upon nations. But think of the, the young woman going through with an abortion, the harm that she is doing to herself, as well as destroying her own offspring. Think of it. Think of the evil. Modern man, civilized man, intelligent man, killing his own offspring, and then afterwards can't live with herself or himself if the father perhaps has appealed that an abortion should take place. Think of the population decline in the Western countries where proportionately we have growing aging population, and we do not have young people in the society to support that growing aged population. It becomes a great evil. There are Western civilized countries that are being depopulated and without massive immigration cannot sustain their standard of living. And so it works. Don't even want to go to the economic thing, but even in the general run of any country, it works to destruction. Now, some people see an abortion as mercy, and they think that, well, there must be a good reason. I want to tell you a story of, found in the book of a Professor's Experiment, David Fields, in his book, God's Good Life. He tells the story of a lecturer giving a seminar to uh, students on the subject of abortion. He's addressing medical students, and he brings up a real case study. And he says to the students, well, in this case, the father has syphilis, the mother tuberculosis. They've had four children. The first is blind. The second child died the third is deaf and dumb, the fourth has tuberculosis, the mother is expecting her fifth child, and she will have an abortion if you advise it. And those medical students, they all unanimously agree it's the right thing to do for her to have an abortion. 
and they all clamor. It's the right advice to give. She must have an abortion. And the professor says, congratulations, students, you've just killed Beethoven, because that's the family situation into which he was born. And just think of the many skilled, beneficial people have been lost to our societies through the mass murder through abortion. How many doctors, scientists, inventors, engineers, nurses, teachers, preachers would be contributors to our world and society only for the evil of abortion. Everybody suffers. Everybody is a loser when we encourage or even sustain and quietly agree to the evil of murder in the womb. One last thing about the evil of murder, it does eternal harm. In Revelation 21, verse 8, it says, The fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers shall have their part in the lake of fire. Those who put their hand to the shedding of blood, well, we know that their blood shall be shed. That's the punishment that God has ordained. You'll find that in Genesis chapter 9. It comes after the flood. It comes that the, the, the blood of man, uh, he that sheddeth blood, his blood shall be shed. That's the principle. And that's where the position was taken that murder required that person to lose his own life. Now, that's not the common practice in societies today. But then there's the eternal death. An unrepentant murderer, dying with blood in his hands, and he stands before God on the judgment day to give account of his deeds. The God who found out Cain will find out the murderer. He'll find out the crime and all the punishment. And surely there'll be men in the judgment day will say, my punishment is greater than I can bear. And for all eternity, living with the consequences and the misery of sin in eternal torment. Oh, the evil of murder. We could go on. But I want to switch now to this. The sixth commandment commands that we each work to preserve life. That should be our aim and goal, because God has categorically stated, thou shalt not kill. There comes now the responsibility that we as certainly Christians, Bible believers, our goal, our ministry, should be to preserve life. Now, that comes down to some very practical stuff, to the food we eat. Parents, don't give to your kids food that's going to kill them. Now, I know we've got a lot of, I don't know, constant bombardment about diet, but parents, we've got to feed our children healthy food. We've got to look after their health. We have a responsibility to aim for good health, safety, Surely, every parent has a responsibility to seek the safety of, of their children, to warn of danger. And we come now to the addictions, the drugs, the tobacco, the alcohol, and those vices that are destroying and so often lead to the death, if not the direct murder, but the death of multitudes. Did you know the number one killer in society is alcohol? 
That's the number one killer. You take the road count, you take the, the, the uh, uh, cancers, take the various diseases of the body. Alcohol's number one. Drugs, how many end their lives so pathetically? Then there's extreme sports. And I know the Olympics are on, and you're probably watching some extreme stuff. But you just wonder the wisdom of any young person taking on those extreme sports. What about those who have suicidal tendencies and don't get help, refuse help? God says, thou shalt not kill. And let's face it, we are weak in the flesh. We are people that need help at times. And when you or I should have that bout of suicidal tendency, get help. Thou shalt not kill. You, you shall not go to the point where you take your own life. You don't go out on the shooting range and say, I'm going to walk about and let someone shoot me deliberately. You might be a fool and walk across the path of danger from time, but you don't do this. Well, I just want to, I just want to end it. You don't walk in front of a bus and say, just let me be a road statistic. Thou shalt not kill. Take your own life is wrong. Get help. Now, I want to quote to you, and this is a little bit long, but I'm going to read it slowly, and I'm going to read it very carefully, because here is something we all must agree on here, and it's from our longer catechism, Question 135, what are the duties required in the Sixth Commandment? Now, you'll know why it's called the larger catechism, because the answer is long. But every word of this is so vital. And in reality, while it will seem long, it will make my sermon all the more short, because it says it so precisely. The duties required in the Sixth Commandment are all careful studies and lawful endeavors to preserve the life of ourselves and others, by resisting all thoughts and purposes, subduing all passions, and avoiding all occasions, temptations, and practices, which tend to the unjust taking away the life of any, by just defense thereof against violent patient bearing of the hand of God, quietness of mind, now, let me pause there a moment. Quietness of mind. Uh, that means you don't get into the, the angry state that Cain got into where he was wroth with his brother. If something's going to make you angry, don't get into that situation. Don't end up in some business arrangement where you'll end up angry. Don't get into some marriage arrangement where you're going to be the angry one. Anger will kill and so it talks here about quietness of mind, cheerfulness of spirit. We ought to be happy people to be around. You see, what this question is doing, it's flipping the coin. If you don't kill someone, then you ought to be a pleasant helper of someone's joy in life. A sober use of meat, drink, physic. Well, that's medications. A sober use of medication. If there's a remedy for a, a disease that's going to kill you, take it. Take it. Go to your doctor. Take the medication. If it's going to work to your health, use it. Sleep. And for all those workaholics, there's a, 
uh, a word of advice, get your sleep. The lack of sleep will kill you. Uh, we should have sympathy for those that are on shift work. Sleep's a problem. You've got to get your sleep. If you are robbing yourself of your sleep, you're killing yourself. You're breaking the sixth commandment. Labor, now it talks about a sober use of labor. And again, the workaholic is doing two shifts, and he's greedy for money, and he's killing himself. That's wrong. Sober use of recreations. And then by charitable thoughts, love, compassion, meekness, gentleness, kindness, peaceable, mild, and courteous speeches and behavior, forbearance. In other words, husband. let's talk about husband and wife here. Let's bring this down to where we really live every day. Husband, if you've got a sour, negative, horrible attitude, you're killing your wife. You're killing her joy. You're killing her peace. You're killing her very purpose of life. You become impossible to live with. You're killing the very one God has put in your life to be your greatest blessing. But your joyfulness, your quietness, your contentedness, and all these things that are listed here will encourage your wife. It will build her up. It will help her through all her cares and troubles and needs of life. Charitable thoughts, love, compassion, meekness, gentleness, kindness, peaceable, mild and courteous speeches and behavior. If you speak to your wife in a horrible, hateful tone of voice, you're, you're murdering your wife. You get it? Do we get it? Sometimes we don't think in those terms. But this is what theologians, greater minds than I will ever, ever aspire to, greater minds have looked at the sixth commandment and they've said, this is what it means in positive, real terms. The requirements of the sixth commandment is that you encourage love, build up, and be a promoter of the welfare of wife, family, and all around you. Then readiness to be reconciled. Problems arise. Let's be realistic. Problems arise. And sometimes two people don't see things the same way. But if you're not a murderer, you'll want to be reconciled. You'll want to try and bring a solution. And you may not want to give in that, you know, I think I'm right and I'm sticking with it. You don't want to give in. But, hey, let's, let's be reasonable and loving and caring, and let's see if we can, through time and over time, work this out. That's, that's willing to be reconciled. If you have to say sorry, say sorry. Sorry is a wonderful word in reconciling. It's a wonderful word. There are some men in this world, and they have never said sorry since they walked out on their mom and dad. They've never said sorry. They become murderers. Patient bearing and forgiving of injuries and requiting good for evil. Back to Matthew seven twelve, as you would have others do unto you, do unto them. And so if we, the requirements of the sixth commandment mean that we don't hurt, we don't pull down, but we would do to others as we would have them do to us. A comforting and succoring the distressed and protecting and defending the innocent. One of the practical outflows of this is taken from the book of Deuteronomy, where if a man builds a house 
and you've got a, a roof line that's way up there. Uh, you put a railing around your house. And in those days, people actually used the rooftop. They tended to be flat roofs. And in hot evenings, you know how hot and stuffy it gets inside the house? The heat builds up. Well, they would use the roof to go up in the dark. And they would bring their mattress up there and sleep in the cool air of the open outdoor on, the, on their rooftop. Safe, away from all the predators on the street level. But you need a railing. You're going to stumble off in the dark. Put a railing up. And that was the responsibility of the person who built the house. If you talk to WCB today, they will tell contractors the same thing. If you're going to construct something, make sure your workers are not put at risk. Put railings around it. Even they're temporary till you get the building up. What about your medicine cabinet? Is there some teenager or some child in your home that's going to get inquisitive and look at this? What, what is that stuff? Let's taste it. And they get, you know, children can, it talks about child-proof caps. If you can't get it off, give it to your child and they'll take it off for you. That's how they do it. And they'll get those pills. Boy, it tastes good. It's just like candies. We have to, we have to preserve life. Seatbelt in our cars. Now, for years, we probably resisted the whole idea, but I think everybody knows we're safer with seatbelts. You're listening to Let the Bible Speak. This is Ian Gallagher, and I hope that you've been encouraged today. We ended there on the note on seatbelts, but the whole commandment is, Thou shalt not kill. And life is sacred. That's the message that we get from all of the Bible. The Lord is the one that giveth, and the Lord taketh away that sacredness of life is to be preserved. And in light of the recent uh, judgments of the Supreme Court that our government is to enact laws that will allow assisted suicide in this country, not only from the terminally ill, but from those that are psychologically uh, affected and those who feel that perhaps life is not worth living. Our Supreme Court has gone to extreme measures, and we need to pray that God will turn our government to resist this. It is contrary to the law of God. This is Ian Gallagher. Stay tuned now for our final message. This is Pastor Ian Gallagher. Call me, please, at 604-897-2040. For all the details of our broadcasts across Canada, go to ltbs.ca. This broadcast comes to you today from the Free Presbyterian Church in Cloverdale, located at 18790 58th Avenue, Surrey, at the corner of 188th Street and 58th Avenue. Our website is cloverdealfpc.ca and there you can find gospel articles, links to our sermons, a gospel booklet called A New Beginning and a link to watch our services online. You're warmly invited to attend any of our Sunday services at 10.30am and 6pm to meet with us as we worship God and to hear the preaching of His precious Word. We also meet for Bible study and prayer every Wednesday evening at 7.30pm. 
Our Sunday School for Children and Adult Bible Class meet every Lord's Day at 9.30am from September to June. You can contact us at 604-567-1091. Alternatively, you can email me at pastor.cloverdealfpc at gmail.com. Again, for all this information, please visit our website at cloverdealfpc.ca. Our burden is that you will hear and understand the gospel that will bring you to know the Lord Jesus Christ and his great salvation. This is Pastor Andrew Fitton. Thank you for listening today. And be sure to listen Monday to Friday at 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. and on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for our one-hour church service as we worship the Lord through the ministry of His Word.